Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said, quote, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Are you a new creation in Jesus Christ our Lord? Have you received spiritual life in Jesus Christ? Every person who is genuinely trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul is a new creation in Jesus Christ. They have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 6 and look at this powerful truth of becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love Jesus, growing to obey Jesus, growing to be like Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus, 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 everything in this world. Okay, front and back is Jesus. He's the first, he's the last, he's the beginning, he's the end. Jesus is your alpha, he's your omega. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Again, the meaning of life on this earth is growing relationship and intimacy with Jesus Christ our Lord. Literally, everything else is superfluous compared to that, right? Remember when Jesus said, if anyone comes to me, doesn't hate his father, mother, brother, sister, and his wife, husband, right? He's not fit to be my disciple. What did he mean by that? He's not exhorting you to hate. He's simply saying that your devotion to him ought to be so much greater than your devotion to even your most close and intimate human relationships, right? Mother, father brother, sister, wife, children, right? It, uh, which are all really close to us. Your devotion to him should be so much greater than those most intimate human relationships that the gap between your devotion to him and all those people is the difference between love and hate. Um, and th that was from his own mouth, right? So thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, thank you, Father. We're finishing Galatians, the book of Galatians. We're in chapter six. Today's the 12th teaching in the book, and uh, Lord willing, we're going to do 11 to 18 and finish the book of Galatians today. It's been an incredible study, just diving deep into this book of Galatians. It's golly, never have, uh, well, it's, it's like it always is, you know, just there's just so much here. Um, I've just been so fulfilled in studying this and teaching it. It's just been, it's just been a, an incredible, incredible blessing. I mean, uh, Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Bible book of Galatians. We thank you that we have the, the holy scriptures, Father. We thank you that we have the living word of God to feed us, Father, to feed our spirit and our soul. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect life for us. We thank you for dying a perfect death for us. And we, we thank you that you are alive and risen today. And we 
worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, again, we thank you for inspiring this word of Galatians and giving us this word. We worship you, Holy Spirit. We ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts to understand your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Galatians 6, verses 11 to 18. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking. Verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly, outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Good stuff. Paul's uh, concluding remarks again in this letter of Galatians. It's been just a, a strong, powerful, meaningful le uh, letter here, right, Ireland? Um, and, and look what he says here in verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. And so from verses 11 to 18, Paul is now going to actually write this himself. He's been dictating the letter up to now, and a scribe has been writing the things he's saying. But now, these last verses, verse 11 to 18, he's going to write this now <clears throat> with his own hand. So he basically asks the scribe, let me have it. Um, he's done this before, and so that people understand it is coming from him. This letter is written by the Apostle Paul. It is, it is for the most part universally accepted that this man wrote this letter, okay? So when you read this letter and you see what's written here, to not, to not believe in Christ, to not believe in Jesus as the Savior, to not believe, you know, that Jesus Christ is the only way to have your sins forgiven, to avoid hell and to go to heaven when you die, and to not live for Jesus Christ, is to, is to claim that Paul is a liar or he's delusional or that he's just making all this up, okay? Um, and yet when you read it, you read a letter that's just, that's just so, so, so sound, right? So articulate, so clear. When Paul is testifying in chapter one and two as to the events of his life, and coming to Christ and how Jesus revealed himself to you. It, it doesn't come off like a madman. It doesn't come off like a crazy man. It's not written like a liar. It's every word of it is true, right? He actually says in Galatians chapter one, right? I assure you before God, I believe it's verse 21. 
I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. This, 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 this Bible is true, right? Um, it's verse 20, actually. Galatians 1, verse 20. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie, okay? All of this is real. God is real. Christ is real. We are really sinners. Hell is real. Heaven is real. And it's only in Christ. It's only in receiving Jesus Christ as, you know, uh, John 1, 12 says to, that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, right? It's only in receiving Christ that our sins are forgiven. We're delivered from an eternity in hell separated from the triune God and that we ultimately go to heaven when we die or when Jesus comes. It's all real. But now here, Paul takes the, the pen, right? He takes the quill and he's going to write these remaining words in his own hands, okay? And so he takes it from the scribe in verse 11. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you <clears throat> with my own hand. And so scholars have differed on their opinions as to what this, what this means. Um, it clearly means that he's writing in big letters, okay? But the reason is, <clears throat> why is he writing in these big letters? Um, <clears throat> many scholars have believed because, you know, he had trouble with his eyes, he had trouble seeing, um, and so, you know, he used large letters. Um, we were in Bible study last time, and, uh, and Stephen was doing some study on this chapter, and, uh, you know, he was listening to a teaching, <clears throat> And one scholar made the point that that he believed that Paul was writing in these large letters, basically, you know, like like a child in kindergarten. Right. You make a big A and then a little A. Right. A big B and then a little B. Remember when we were in kindergarten, how we used to write with very large letters. <clears throat> and so this particular scholar postulated that, you know, that he's Paul's using large letters in a, you know, in a way to show them that I have to write to you like your babies, like you're such infant Christians. I'm going to write to you now like your little babies. Right. So, again, um, uh, very few scholars believe that's the reason, but that is a, a scholarly opinion. Um, but the, the but the probable reason for this. Right, Jameson, the, the, the really, you know, we can discern that what the most probable reason that he's writing with these large letters is for emphasis. Right. So when he says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand, he's using big letters in the way that we might text someone something in all caps. Right. Or we might underline something. Right. Because we want to bring emphasis to it. We highlight it. So almost certainly he's using these large letters as a tool for emphasis when we want to, you know, really drive a point home. You know, we might use all caps or something. Right, Alicia. All right. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand, okay? Now he's using his own hand and he's not dictating anymore. Verse 12, those who want you, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Again, these, these Judaizers were coming in. These people who claim to be Christians, but they're, you know, they're of a Jewish heritage were coming in and saying, 
We need to believe in Jesus, but Jesus is not enough. They weren't real Christians. They were saying you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised if you're a man. Uh, you also need to follow all the commandments of Moses. You need to follow all the instructions in the Old Testament law. You need to follow all the dietary laws. Um, and, and by doing all these things, only that way can you be saved. Um, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And so they were saying that if you were a man, you need to have this outward sign of circumcision, right, on your body. And, and somehow by, by that effort of circumcision or somehow by your effort of trying to do good works, trying to keep the law, your effort of keeping the dietary laws, you would be saved. They were adding to the cross. They were saying that Jesus Christ is not sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. It's Jesus and your efforts. Never can that be. In order for us to be saved from our sin, in order for us to have eternal life, in order for us to come into spiritual life, in order, us, in order for us to avoid eternal hell and go to heaven when we die, we need to have our full and complete trust and confidence in Jesus Christ alone and what he did at the cross, dying the death we should have died, right, and being raised from the dead. So are you trusting in Jesus alone today? Or are you trusting somehow, yeah, saying, I believe in Jesus, but are you also trusting in your own works, in your own good life? Because if you're trusting in your own good life even a little bit, that means you're not trusting in Christ entirely. A Christian is someone who knows they're hopeless, helpless, desperate, and they're clinging to Jesus Christ, knowing that him and him alone, he and he alone, is the only way for the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul, and for us to, to spend eternity in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Again, John 1, 12, to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul says in verse 12, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. So again, it wasn't about an inward faith to them, which is what brings salvation. It was, every, it was about an outward physical effort, getting circumcised, right, as a, as a physical effort to be made right with God. He goes on to say, the only reason they do this, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ, okay? So there's a persecution there was a tremendous persecution in Paul's day because in his time, the Jewish people still tremendously outweighed the Christians. There were still hundreds of thousands, if not millions more Jews than there were Christians. In Paul's time, the Christian population was still comparative, comparatively very small. And so there would have been this, this tremendous persecution toward the early church and toward the early Christians because they were saying, Paul was saying, circumcision doesn't mean anything, right? He actually says it in verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, okay? That statement would have been, would have been, such, would have been such an offense to a Jewish person whose hope was in their circumcision. Right. And for Paul to say, again, verse 15, chapter six, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. 
doesn't mean anything at all when it comes to your relationship with God. It doesn't mean anything at all when it comes to being saved from your sin, delivered from your sin, and going to heaven when you die. It means nothing at all when it comes to your relationship with God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean anything at all. So when he says the only reason they do this, the only reason that they want you to be circumcised outwardly or they compel you to be circumcised, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So, you know, if if these Christians that are not real Christians, but these Jewish people who claim to be Christians are going around and telling all the Christians you need to be circumcised, well, you know, the Jews could deal with it. Okay, you want to believe in that guy, fine. You want to believe in Jesus, that's fine. But you still have to obey all the law of Moses. You still have to be circumcised. And so in this way, by preaching circumcision, they were avoiding persecution for the cross of Christ. We do that today, okay? When we're tolerant today, when we say, well, you know what? I believe that, you know, that all roads can lead to heaven. I don't believe Jesus Christ is the only way to have your sins forgiven and to go to heaven when you die. You're actually completely contrary to the teaching of the Bible, okay? But the reason we do that is we don't want to upset anyone. But the truth is, all you're doing is harming someone. All you're doing is hurting them, okay? To tell someone that they can get to heaven without Jesus Christ is to do them the greatest disservice in the Bible. You can cause them no more harm, no more hurt, no more pain than by doing that. Jesus Christ in his own words in John 14, verse 6, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to God the Father except through me. That is not an ambiguous statement, okay? That's not a confusing statement. All 8 billion people in the world are sinful before God all of them need forgiveness of sins, and that forgiveness can happen only by receiving and trusting in Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior. It's the most loving thing in the world we can do to share that with people who are trying to get to God by some other way or some other religion. Now, every other religion, from Judaism to Islam to Buddhism to Hinduism, any other religion you can name is trying to get to God in the way these Judaizers are. You're trying to do good works. You're trying to get to God in your own effort. You're trying to do and live a good life. And you have this scale mentality, believing that, you know, when you get to heaven, God's going to put your good on one side of the scale and your sin on the other side of the scale. And you kind of hope your good outweighs the bad and he lets you in, right? Good doesn't take away bad. None of the good we do takes away our sin. That's why we need a savior. If our good could take away our bad, we wouldn't need Jesus. God the Son, Jesus, our God became a human man, lived the perfect righteous life that we couldn't live on our behalf, died a perfect torturous death that we should have died, and he did that on our behalf, and he was raised from the dead, because we all need him. So to say, I'm going to get to heaven in my own good works is to, is to completely deny the cross of Christ. It's an arrogance. 
it's 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 a presumption that's the most dangerous presumption in the world. Okay, we need to humble ourselves before Christ, confess our complete hopelessness, helplessness, and desperation. And then to throw ourselves at the feet of the cross, at the feet of Jesus, and say, Lord Jesus, I confess I am a sinful person. Lord, I know I cannot save myself, but I do believe you are the Son of God. And I believe you came to this world and lived a perfect life even for me and died a perfect death even for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And Therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life, and to save me from my sin, and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. If you're not sure you're a Christian today, or if, if you think, you know what, I, 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 I am. Maybe I am trusting in someone in my own good life or trusting in the fact that I don't believe I've been so bad. I mean, I never killed anybody, right? If that's your heart, then go back. You know, and humble yourself before the cross and go ahead and rewind the tape and use the words I used and give your life to Christ. Now, remember, it's not the words that save us, right? Romans 10, 13 does say that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so our words don't save us, but we do use our words to communicate our heart to Jesus, right? We use our heart, you know, our words to communicate the sincerity and genuineness and desperation of our heart to call out to Jesus, right? Um, so again, if you're not sure that you're a Christian today, or if you would say, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know that I'm trusting in him, again, go back, use the words I used and call out to Jesus and ask him to be the Lord of your life. But again, it's the sincerity and the genuineness of your heart with your understanding that without Christ, only hell awaits. And out of that desperation, you call out to him, right? To receive him, as John 1.12 says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so, you know, we don't do anyone a service as Christians when, you know, when we want to appease people and say, well, it's okay that, you know, you're a Hindu or it's okay that you're a Muslim or it's okay that you're a Buddhist or it's okay that you're a, a, a Jew or it's okay that you're, um, you know, a new age. It's okay that you believe what you believe. It's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. What you've done now is you've enabled them to, 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 to stay on this road to hell. It's the most hateful thing we can do to anyone. The most loving thing we can do is share the truth to receive the gift of forgiveness and the gift of salvation by receiving Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior. Does that make sense? Now, yes, the world sees this as intolerant, but it's the most loving thing we can do. And obviously, we need to do it in a heart of love, right? We shouldn't be condemning and saying, you nasty, disgusting sinner, you're going to hell. I mean, we are nasty, disgusting sinners, but Ephesians 4 says that, Ephesians chapter 4 says, speaking the truth in love, right? We need to share the truth of the gospel, but we need to share it in love, right? So again, if you have a lifestyle of just accepting every person and you know allowing them to believe or just saying it's okay that they can believe anything they want to believe, any religion they want to you know, believe is fine, you know, you know, I'm sure that all these religions, as long as you're good, get to heaven. And you want to repent. 
You know, and again, sometimes standing for the truth of Christ brings persecution. And again, that's what these Jewish people were doing. They didn't want to get persecuted by the Jews. And so they were trying to have their cake and eat it, right? They didn't have both feet in the boat with Jesus, right? And so they didn't want to be persecuted, right? Now look at verse 13. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, okay? Even when you're circumcised, just because you get circumcised as a man doesn't mean you're out doing everything that the Bible tells you to do. You're still sinful. You're still disobedient. Look what he says. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. Wow. You see that rap? They want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. And so, you know, you know, it's like they have notches on the wall, right? Or in their belt, like going around saying, you know what? You know, look at there. I led that guy to be circumcised. Yes. And and, and, and there's a good chance you might have helped lead him right to hell. Okay. You know, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh, right? They would go around and impose this belief and they would try to do it in a, in a winsome manner and a loving manner. And they would they would do all they could right? And they would do it in a very cunning way that somehow thinking and boasting that they got you to be circumcised, that they got you to trust not only in Jesus, not only, but you know they got you to trust in this, this outward physical act of, of circumcision, right? It's ridiculous, right? It's trusting in, in this, again, the cutting the way of cutting away of the foreskin of a man's penis, is somehow going to make you right before God or help you be right before God. It's ridiculous. Um, and yet they were boasting of this, right? Have mercy, Lord Jesus. And, and verse 14 ought to be the, the cry of our hearts. And, 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 and again, this is something in Christianity where all of us have failed at some level. Look what Paul says, verse 14, may I never boast May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought not be boasting of anything ever. Let our only boast, our only pride be in what Christ has done. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's ridiculous right? Even if, if the Lord uses us and he should be using us, you should be actively evangelizing and the Lord ought to be using you to lead people to Jesus Christ, right? But if he uses you to lead a million to Christ, two million, five million, or two, it's wonderful. You could feel good about that. You're being obedient to the Lord. You're, you're, you're doing the work he's given you to do. You're advancing the kingdom of God and the gospel of God, but you don't boast of it. We can do nothing without the cross of Christ, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you to forgive us. Forgive me. You know, where we've had an attitude of boasting, Lord, when, when, when Lord, we have nothing to boast of except to boast in Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit, to have a heart to boast in what Jesus has done and not in any way to boast in what we suppose ourselves to have done for him. Forgive us, Father. Have mercy on us. May I never boast, verse 14, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is your boast today? 
I mean, we have a pride in all kinds of things, right? We boast about our jobs. We boast about our sports teams. We boast about, you know, our our knowledge about things that are unbiblical. We boast about our, you know, about our abilities. We boast about, you know, how we're we're good at certain things. And again, it's just all foolishness, right? May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew. That ought to be our only boast, Scott, right? He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does he mean by that, Becky? What does Paul mean? Through which, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Um, Paul had gotten to a place in his walk with Christ where he was utterly dead to the things of the world and the world was dead to him. Paul wanted nothing to do with the world and the world systems that are contrary to the Bible and the world and the world systems wanted nothing to do with Paul. They were completely contrary to one another, right? They were polar opposites. There are very, very, very few Christians, probably none in the world today that have gotten to this. Now we're all in a different place as we grow in our Christian maturity, as we grow to be more sanctified, right? Sanctification is a, is a, is a, you know, is a biblical term, right? That means increasing holiness and Christ-likeness in the life of the believer. We're all, once we become justified, once we receive Christ as our savior and we're declared by God, not guilty of sin and righteous before God, in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be justified. It's a one-time event that comes by receiving Christ, right? There's nothing we do, right? We're justified by Jesus Christ alone and receiving him by what he did at the cross on our behalf and in our place. But sanctification now is, is our cooperation for the rest of our lives after justification with the Holy Spirit and becoming more and more holy less and less sinful, and more and more like Jesus in every aspect of our lives, okay? Um, and we're all in a different place, you know, in our Christian walk. Still the vast majority of, the, of those who claim to be Christians are baby Christians. And you often can't tell the difference between them and someone who's a completely worldly person who has no Jesus in their life at all, has no interest in Jesus, and is living their life completely contrary to the Bible. They're not convicted by the Bible. They have no interest to live according to the Bible. They're utterly and totally worldly, okay? They can live in any sin that they want to do. There's no conviction about it, okay? Um, they can have any lifestyle they want, okay? If you're a Christian today, you like Paul, okay, ought to be crucified to the world and the world ought to be crucified to you, Esther, right? Um, and so you want to examine yourself and just see as a, as, as a Christian today, how much of your life is still worldly? How much are you still, right, sinfully engaged in the, in the things of the world and the sinful thought processes of the world, right? And, and again, all of us as Christians, none of us have gotten to where this place the Apostle Paul is where is, you know, again, he had literally come to a place in his sanctification where he was utterly dead and crucified to the world and wanted nothing to do with it in any way. 
in the world wanted nothing to do with him. He had nothing in the world and the world had nothing in him. There's still some world in me. There's still some world in you, okay? And it's something, Jason, right? Uh, we just really need to, we need to examine ourselves and repent over. And Father, I do ask you to forgive us and cleanse us and help us, Father, to have a lifestyle where we genuinely are crucified to the world and dead to the world. And the world is crucified and dead to us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, where we still have, we still have such worldly thoughts so oftentimes as Christians and worldly lifestyles, Lord. Father, help us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Again, verse 6, 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. We've already said that. Uh, all your outward efforts from being physically circumcised as a man, again, you know, most males in, in, in first world countries today are circumcised on the day of their birth, right? In the Jewish culture, you were circumcised eight days as a, as a male after your birth. But that's fine. It's something that's good to do. It's my understanding that circumcision is a good thing uh, and it has health benefits to it. And I, I, I believe there's, there's some kind of hygienic benefits to it, right? It's, there's better hygiene. That's, that's my understanding. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't understand it all. And that's a good thing. That's fine. But the point is you don't get circumcised and somehow believe you're going to be made right with God or that's going to help you be made right with God. That's what he means here when he says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Okay. You can be circumcised and in Christ alone, trusting in Christ alone, and you're a genuine Christian. Or you can be uncircumcised and trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. It means nothing at all when it comes to your relationship and your salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. You see that, Uncle Dennis? What counts is a new creation. This is all that matters. Have you received spiritual life? You came into this world from your mother's womb, as did I, physically alive. We, we exited our mother's womb. We were physically alive. At conception, we were physically alive, right? We were naturally alive, but our spirit was dead to God. We were naturally alive, but spiritually dead because of the sinful nature we received from our father and them from their father all the way back to Adam. When Adam sinned, he died spiritually. He took on a nature of sin and then he passed that sinful nature into, into every human being that was ever born. Every human being ever born since the fall in Genesis 3, right, has been born physically alive but spiritually dead, right? The only person born spiritually alive was Jesus because the sinful nature is always passed through the genes or the seed of the man, okay? But Jesus, Jesus's father wasn't Joseph, right? Jesus's father was the Holy Spirit. So God, the Holy Spirit is the one that made Mary pregnant with Jesus. It's not a sexual thing. He simply thought it. And Mary was pregnant with Jesus. But now because, you know, G Mary wasn't made pregnant in the normal way through Joseph, since God himself, God, the Holy Spirit, was the one that made Mary pregnant, 
the child in Mary now, the God child Jesus, will come into this world without a sinful nature because he didn't have a human father. And therefore, he enters the world not only naturally alive, but spiritually alive. It's incredible, right? That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin so that he would not have a sinful nature. And so we see, as Paul teaches in Romans 5, that in Romans 4, that as sin enters the world through one man, and now this in this way, sin came in through Adam and it polluted the whole human race. Spiritual death came in as a result of Adam's sin. So one man brought sin into the whole world. Therefore, one, uh, you know, sin is reconciled by the one man in Jesus Christ. Spiritual death came into the world through the one man in Adam. Therefore, spiritual life is given through the one man in Jesus Christ, right? That's powerful, right? He says what counts is a new creation. So we enter this world, we're conceived naturally alive. We come out of our mother's womb naturally alive, but our spirit is dead to God. When you receive Jesus Christ, you become a, a new creation, right? You go from being a spiritually dead, you know, hellish creature, and you enter into spiritual life in Jesus Christ. You pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. You cross over, right? I believe it's John 24 that anyone who believes in me has crossed over from death to life, and you become a new creation, right? You become, you go from spiritual death to spiritual life, and now you have eternal life. God the Father is your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and Master and King. God the Holy Spirit is your guide, your counselor, your comforter. Jesus Christ has come and has come and Jesus Christ has come to live inside of you, and you're one with Him. You're one with the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, right? And you're married to Jesus. You're part of the bride of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. It's incredible, right? So Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean it means anything. What counts is a new creation. Are you spiritually alive today? Have you been born spiritually? Have you received spiritual life in Christ? Or are you naturally alive but still spiritually dead? Are you not a new creation? Have you not come into new spiritual life? Have you not been created in spiritual life? Again, if you're not sure, back up the tape and humble yourself and go before Jesus and receive Jesus Christ. You become a, a new creation when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 16, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, okay? You can only have peace and mercy when you follow the rule that circumcision, uncircumcision, trying to be made right with God by any of my own good life, by any of my own efforts, by trying to follow the commandments, there's no peace and no mercy to anyone in the world or in history that tries to be made God that way. What counts is a new creation, becoming spiritually alive, through receiving and trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you do that, you have peace with God and you've received the mercy of God, right? You have peace and you're not trying to strive to be made right with God in your own good life. 
Now, listen, of course we need to live good lives. Of course we need to live lives using our time, talents, and money to serve the kingdom of God, the word of God, and the son of God. And we will be rewarded accordingly. We don't get to heaven by anything we do, but our reward in heaven, our position in heaven, how we experience heaven, that will be completely dictated on how we lived our life in Christ. But none of living our life helps save us. Okay, We're saved by grace alone. It's God's gift to us through faith alone in Christ alone. But our reward in heaven will be completely dictated on how we cooperated with the Holy Spirit and using our time, our gifts and talents, and our, our money in the advancement of the kingdom of God and the Son of God and the gospel of God. So it's not that we're just saved, we have peace with God, and now we're going to heaven, so we just do whatever we want to do with no consequence, right? Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. Again, we need mercy. We receive mercy in Jesus Christ. What we deserve as sinful people, all 8 billion people in the world, we all deserve eternal hell. We all deserve to be separated from God and live our lives separated from him in eternity, in hell. That's what we deserve for our sin. But when you receive Jesus Christ, we have mercy. Mercy is when we do not get the punishment from God that we do deserve. Right? That's mercy, when you do not get punishment that you do deserve. There's nothing we need more than mercy. What counts as a new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. And Paul says, even to the Israel of God. The Israel of God are not, is not natural Israel. The Israel of God is not the Jewish people now living in Israel that are still following Judaism. The Israel of God is those who, who have truly given themselves to Christ in faith and received the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, who was Jewish in his natural heredity, right? In his, you know, genetically, Jesus is Jewish, right? Um, you know, Abraham was Jewish, right? But he was made right with God. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was made right with God by his belief and trust in the fact that he would have a son and through his son, the Savior and Messiah would come. And, and Abraham trusted in the Savior that was to come. He looked forward to the cross of Christ, right? He looked forward to the Savior, the coming Messiah. You and I, we look back to the cross of Christ 2,000 years ago. All of us are made right with God by the same cross, right? If you lived before Christ, you had faith in the coming Savior. You and I who live after the cross have faith in the Savior that has come, in Jesus that has come. Paul says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. Again, the rule is you're not trying to be made right with God in your own efforts, but by having faith and trust in Christ alone. He says, even to the Israel of God. Again, the Israel of God are those who are trusting in the Savior, right? It's not natural Israel, right? It's spiritual Israel. It's those, it's not Israel who's, who's walking around physically. It's Israel who by faith, are trusting in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's the Israel of God. Verse 17, Paul says, Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul, if you read uh, you know, 1 Corinthians you know, chapter 11, 
I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the beating he took. I mean, there's no words for it. Um, you know, you know, it's, uh, but look what he says here, you know, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, you know, he, he's, 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 he's explaining to the Corinthians just, you know, the truth of what's happened in his life. And he says, what anyone else dares to boast about, because everyone's boasting, he says, I'm speaking as a fool. So he acknowledges this. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? Are they Jewish? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. He was whipped and scourged with bone-tipped whips. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been in I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Paul says, uh, that's what he's writing to the Corinthians, Galatians 6, verse 17. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He was beaten, whipped. He was stoned. He was killed, and the Lord brought him back to life. Okay? The beatings and the persecution Paul took physically for Christ are unimaginable. So he says, finally, let no one cause me trouble. He's saying, you know what, I've had enough trouble. And he's telling these Galatians, you know, I, I don't need any more trouble from you. He's telling them. He's written this letter to the church of Galatia. And, you know, he's poured out his heart. He is, you know, he is he's putting in all the labor and effort he can muster. He wrote this letter, didn't know it would be scripture. It's the word of God now. When he says, it's almost like he's exhaling, saying, finally, no one caused me trouble. I've had enough trouble. Galatians, stop causing me trouble. Believe what I'm telling you. Do what I'm telling you to do. Okay? Finally, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. If you have ministers in your life, if you have, if you have uh, you know, if you have people that are pouring into your life and mentoring you and serving you and, you know, and really discipling you in Christ, men or women, you don't need to cause them trouble, okay? Now, undoubtedly, they haven't been beaten like Paul has, right? Paul makes makes the point, finally, let no one cause me trouble. You know, I haven't been beaten like Paul has, and so maybe I need a little trouble. But, you know, finally, let no one cause me trouble. That's enough now, okay? For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, right? He had been beaten, and scourged and whipped and stoned and just consistently facing death. What does that mean? I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Was he just hanging on a plank, you know, and just, you know, just bobbing in the water or something? I mean, for, for 24 hours a night and a day, 
Finally, let no one cause me trouble. Galatians, okay, I don't, I don't need any more trouble from you. You've caused me enough trouble as it is. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Right? And his final goodbye says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's the blessing he gives him as he leaves. You know, if you could have anything in your life, what would you want today? What do you want, Kristen? What do you want, Lauren? Nathan, what do you want? What do you want, Wendy? Do we want more physical comforts? Do we want more money? Do we want more prestige? Do we want more physical health? Or do you want the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit? You know, generally we're chasing after, chasing after a better life in every way, right? But more than anything else, we should desire the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And amen. Father, we thank you for this book of Galatians. We just thank you for these, uh, these incredible six chapters and the privilege it is to have your word and to study your word, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for, for the privilege of teaching this book. Father, I ask you to forgive me where undoubtedly I have fallen so well short of of teaching this, Lord, and with the depth and the, and the meaning and the power. But I thank you, Lord, for the privilege to, to teach your word. And Father, I ask you to help us one and all to study your word and to take your word to heart. Father, I thank you for using the Apostle Paul to, to teach this letter and, to, and to, to dictate this letter and to write out himself these last verses, verses 11 to 18. Right, Lord, just, uh, you know, nine verses. Eight verses, Lord, and uh, we just thank you for your mercy. I ask you to help us to, to believe what it says and to live as it's exhorted us to live. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you for your mercy and your sacrifice on our behalf and in our place. And we worship you today, the risen Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message and seal this letter to our hearts. Give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus.